Yo. Yo. Welcome to Friends You Wish You Had. We are not those friends. That's the slogan. How do I feel about that this week? I'm not 100% sure. Um, obviously, a lot going on with the election. You know, one thing that we've been talking about off mic a lot is um, projections, polling, Nate Silver. Um, I saw someone tweet recently that Nate Silver is astrology for white men. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I get it. I get why someone would say that. But I've always been a bit of a Nate Silver apologist, um, as you know, in our conversations. Um, you know, he, 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 he rose to prominence. He developed a statistical model that predicted every single state correctly in 2012. Um, when Obama faced Romney, um, he did not have nearly that amount of uh, predictive ability in 2016. You could argue if, you know, whether or not he's, he's trying, he's not really trying to predict things, he's trying to give you probabilities. Um, although in 2016, he was more, he was closer to the truth than most people. I mean, like famously, the New York Times the night before the elections or the day of the election said that Hillary had a 98, 99% chance of winning. Of course, in hindsight, we all real, like everyone realized that that was a national poll prediction, which was that, accurate. That, that's why the New York times should have held on to Nate Silver. Yeah. Yeah. He had gone to Disney or ESPN or something like right. that, you know, but Nate Silver was tweeting and this is my apologist part. He was tweeting in 2016 that Trump has a really good chance of winning. At one point in July of 2016, he said Trump had a 38% chance of winning, which is nothing to shake a stick at. That's, that's you know, I would not do, uh, I wouldn't do a damn thing if there was a 38% chance of dying. That's a pretty high fucking number. Um, he also said that there was, that the model, his model was showing an unexpectedly high chance of Trump losing the popular vote and winning the electoral college. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily call it astrology, um, but you got to take these things with a grain of salt. Right now, he's got Biden with a 73% chance of winning. 27% for Trump is, again, not a small number. You know, it's, one in, it's above one in four. It's a serious number. It's nothing to be laughed at. It's nothing to just calm down and say the election is Biden. It's like, it's like being down a touchdown at the start of the fourth quarter. I don't think there's, I think Nate Silver is great and I don't think there's anything wrong with his projections at all. I think it's just more what people do with the data. I I think a lot of people and looked at the information he was putting out in 2016 and whatever it was, he was saying Hillary had a, you know, a 70% chance of winning. And they looked at it like that was a 99% chance of winning. And actually having- she did not have that high of a chance. She was in like the fifties or even like low sixties high. I don't remember exactly, but she was not at 70 that high uh, at all during, you know, as the, in the week leading up to the election. I think that if, you know, people look at those percentages, like it's an insurmountable lead and that's unfortunate. I think that I am less confident in state in, in polling and especially state by state polling uh, in in swing states than ever before. I yeah. said this before. I've seen two elections now in 2016, in 2018 in Florida, where the Democrat was a few days before election day was you know all but projected to walk away with it. And in both cases, Trump and then 
uh, DeSantis won in 2018. I think that a lot of this statistical modeling doesn't take into account all the voter suppression, cheating, shenanigans that's going on at sort of every level of these these red states. Um, they're a well-oiled machine going on 20 years of of vote, you know, all different kinds of voter suppression scams. Yeah. And I think that Trump is insanely, still insanely popular with the people that voted for him in 2016. Yeah. So I was, so, I was yeah. Yeah, I, I am, I am very, I am pessimistic about the election. I think Trump is going to get reelected. Uh, that's not to say that I don't understand the case for Biden. Um, I was around a bunch of guys today at a job site where I'm working um, and all Trump voters uh, talking about, you know, Trump talking about what a con artist Biden is. They didn't like Harris. You know, these are all sort of blue collar guys right in Trump's wheelhouse. Uh, dudes who work really hard every day in the heat and, you know, kind of earn their living by busting their ass every day. And I don't think those people get polled like they used to. Like I said, I also don't think that older Trump voters in more rural counties, I live in Florida. So there's, there's, there's a big discrepancy between the four or five biggest counties that are all, you know, predominantly blue. And then the other 40 counties or whatever it is in Florida that are smaller and all red. I don't think polling that goes on in those counties, you know, goes on like it should, or is as accurate as it used to be. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned. Uh, and and for, for the most part, I feel like the overriding argument I hear about why Trump is gonna lose is sort of the same. It's like almost a replay of 2016 with the COVID situation thrown in. It's like the response to the COVID has been, you know, pandemic has been so bad that there's no way that people could vote for him again. And I think that is a perspective of people living in a bubble with their friends, with their family, with the media they consume. Um, and I'm really worried. I obviously, I think Trump is going to lose the popular vote again. And he, if he wins, he will win by an extremely narrow margin, even one that might go to the Supreme court again. Um, but I have, you know, I, I, and maybe I'm a little extra paranoid this week in particular, I was reliving 2004 uh, you know, where I felt there was just no way that George W. Bush could get reelected, like the disaster of his presidency and the 9-11 response and the war and the insane amount of cronyism and moronic decision making was just so apparent and so obvious that like, how could people vote for this guy again? And I think he won by what the slimmest margin in, you know, in, in U.S. presidential history, maybe 2016 changed that, but you know, it came down to, I think about 50,000 votes in Ohio, hundred thousand votes in Ohio. And that decided the election. And there was a lot of shenanigans in Ohio in 2004. So I just really see a replay of that in my head. I, I don't want it to happen, but I just see this sense of confidence among people that there's no way they won't vote for Biden. And they all have a story about some Republican who's not voting for Trump this time. And We'll see. I hope that's all true. I certainly don't want Trump to get reelected, but, I, but I'm very concerned. But finally, I will just say, I don't think that's Nate Silver's fault. I think the data probably shows what the conventional wisdom among people when you poll them and who will actually give you an answer 
when you ask them about what they think, which is like, yeah, they like to see a change in leadership and that's what the, you know, polling represents, but I have a lot less faith in the polling. So I don't want to depress you anymore, but I, I looked up Hillary's numbers and um, on election day, uh, 538, Nate Silver had Hillary with a 71.4% chance. What did I say? And Biden is currently, as I mentioned earlier, at a 73% chance. Um, they gave, she, Biden is doing better um, than Hillary was in certain polling. Um, and I just think, I'm sorry, to but, know, I just think that's the story now I hear from everybody. It's like, they say, oh, no, no. But in the state by state polling, Hillary, you know, Biden's doing better. Like, they're so reassured. Yeah. And I'm like, I just, well, I'm like, listen, you're sitting in your house. I'm sitting in my house. We're just reading this stuff. We have no conception of what it really is on the ground. And it's, well, it's yeah, like yeah. A, it's well, I was like about a, to get into that a little bit because when I was reading 538, they did write an article uh, about a month or two ago saying that one of the big issues with polling in this election and, uh, you know, Hillary had, 83.5% chance of winning Wisconsin on election day, 85% chance of winning uh, Minnesota, 78.9% chance of winning Michigan, 55% uh, chance of winning Florida, and, um, and a 77% uh, chance of winning Pennsylvania. That's what they had her at. Now, they did write an article on 538 like a month or two ago, and the, the core tenet of the article was that um, – not much has changed in the past four years in, in swing state polling. So all the problems that they saw in, 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 in state-by-state state polling in places like Michigan and places like Wisconsin, uh, places like Pennsylvania, have not been addressed. You know, they, I, I forget all the different reasons why um, polls are not as representative as they could be. Um, but, uh, but none of those things have changed. So, yeah, I, you know, I got to tell you, like, you're, I do agree with you. And I think you said this last week that the, we should be preparing for a Trump presidency. We should not be planning for what we'll do when Biden wins. We should be planning on what we'll do when Trump wins. You, you're kind of converting me, Jeff. I told you I had more hope. Uh, than I did in 20, you know, I told you I had more hope. Uh, I told you Hillary was up 70-30 on election day. <laughs> I got to tell you, you man. You cut me off, dude, I'm telling you. Seeing that number no, has hit. No, but seeing that number, it kind of is like a dagger in my chest. The, the, there, I, there, there, I, were, you know. there were times when she had, a, you know, there were uh, weeks at a time when she was in the 80s. I never, you know, she was 87%. She was 83%. Um her numbers went up during the debates. I mean, you do wonder about the noise of it. Between June and November 8th, June 9th and November 8th in 2016, there were times when Clinton had a 51% chance of winning. There were times when she had an 88% chance of winning. There were times when she had a 60% chance of winning and every number in between. So I do wonder about that. I can't imagine that people are shifting that much. There has to be some noise in the statistics. But it's just crazy that on July 30th, 2016, Trump was given a 50.1% chance of winning. And then on August 14th, just two weeks later, Hillary had an 89% chance of winning. 
you know, that just seems like, I'm not a statistician, but there's something wrong there. If that number can change in two weeks. Are there, like, I can't believe that there were actually. Well, what did you say at the beginning of this? They said that Nate Silver is what for white men or something? Astrology for white men. Well, now listen to how you're talking about it right now. How did it go to 50 to 80? Because, you know, because at the end of the day, maybe it's more like astrology than we'd care to admit as two white men, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with the astrology aspect of it, you know? Today is your day. Don't go out today. Tomorrow is <laughs> a day to meet a friend. I, you know, I do think there's a lot of people besides Nate Silver now who do this kind of stuff. And I do think there's a lot of people... Um, Rachel Bitkofer is great on Twitter. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, she really nailed the 2018 election and she tends to agree with Silver, or I should say Silver maybe agrees with her that, you know, all signs look good for Biden and she's especially uh, positive about the Harris pick for VP. You know, in a fair fight, obviously the Democrats win or in a fight where you know, more than 50% of the eligible voters turn out to vote, but that's not what happens in this country and people feel extremely disenfranchised. And, you know, I, in my cynical opinion, I think the Democrats would have rather seen Trump get reelected than put Bernie on the ticket. Now, you know, Bernie didn't win the primary. So I, I, you know, I don't think it's a conspiracy against Bernie, but at the same time, there's certainly a lot of powerful forces that I think try and marginalize, you know, people that really want to represent, you know, sort of poor and working class people in this country and bring them into their party and support programs that would really benefit them. So we don't we don't have a ton of time left for this week's podcast. I wanted to finish up by discussing uh, this article I read in Vanity Fair. If Trump does win, we also get another 40 years of Stephen Miller and Katie Waldman. Stephen Miller, the golden boy, who... uh, The Uncle Tom of the Jews. You can say it. I can't. Um, (laughs) And uh, who is the Uncle Tom of the Catholics? I don't know. That's a tough one. Catholicism is pretty So many. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, just about all of them. So, so, you know, Stephen Miller, kind of Teflon, Teflon Don, a bit of that. He has in a administration that has incredible turnover, more so than any administration in recent history, has managed to survive through what it seems to me a combination of being just as heinous as Donald Trump, if not more so, and playing to all of Donald's worst uh, instincts, um, never taking too much of the spotlight from Donald. He does like like Kushner does. They love talking about our great president. Um, and um, yeah, has just managed to stick around and be a part of some of the worst decisions that the president has made. He absolutely hates uh, brown and black people, um, absolutely hates immigrants, wants to do everything in his power to destroy that. And he just married Katie Waldman, who is now Katie Miller. She took his name. And uh, if you read the Vanity Fair article, um, I'm forgetting the author's name, but, you know, it really dug into who they were in high school, who they were in college, and they were both just hateful, terrible people. Katie Waldman, who is now the uh, press secretary for Pence, tried to get a black professor fired 
because or, or black teacher um, in senior year of her AP English class in high school because the teacher was doing a reading of Toni Morrison's Beloved and uh, used it as a jumping off point to discuss how slavery destroyed the history of African-Americans. Um, and Katie Waldman was so offended by that analysis that she tried to get the teacher fired by lying about her. God, I wish I knew what the question was. For me, it's just kind of more depression that these people are so powerful in our government and that we might have to deal with them for another four years. And also just the spitefulness of their lives. From a very early age, they just hated people. You know, and it didn't even matter, you know, if the person was ideologically aligned with them, you know. Everything around them is something to be used or defeated. Um, I'll just say the, the piece is called Keeping Up with the Millers. Stephen Miller and his wife, Katie, found love in a hateful place. And it's sort of the perfect Vanity Fair piece. It's well. full of salacious kind of off-the-record details that friends and or acquaintances had given them about the two over the years. It's definitely worth reading. I agree with you. These are terrible people. Um, it's sort of the, your worst nightmare of people who have sort of been, especially I felt like still more Stephen Miller than her. She just, they make her out to be more awful than really political. He's very political and just people who are somehow indoctrinated into this right wing media world at a very early age and see enough anecdotal evidence around them to connect it to reality and, you know, just run with it. And, you know, one thing about the right wing and Republican politics and conservative politics, a lot of upward mobility, if you're willing to say the right thing or the wrong thing and use your identity in a counterintuitive way. I feel like on the left and in democratic politics and democratic media, you know, there's a long road to hoe to move up the ladder to get a job in the administration or write a book or be on a media channel. But if you're a guy like Stephen Miller, who's sort of affluent Jewish and really into sort of right wing immigrant hating ideology, like there's a place for you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I was thinking about that. You know, it, it does seem to me that if I, if my concern in life was power or money or just rising up in a movement, 100% would become a conservative and just start making shit up. And I think there's, throughout Republican politics, conservative politics, there's all kinds of people like this. I feel like Stephen Miller is one. You know, they're all, you know, they're sort of all over the place. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, maybe there's some, I have some biases there too. You know, that's not to say that all people who are Black or Latino or Jewish have to have the same politics I do, but I think there's a, a line somehow in my mind you step over when you're a guy like Stephen Miller and your family escaped Hitler in Europe and then you come to the United States and you grow up in this affluence and this religious freedom and this um, economic opportunity and then you spend your life trying to shut the door to the same kind of people who are in the same kind of situation your family was 50, 60 years ago. I just find that so totally disgusting and despicable. You know, and as a Ukrainian American, I see that a lot in the Ukrainian community. I see, you know, Ukrainian conservatives who uh, also, some of which lied 
you know, some of whom lied about um, their participation in the war, lied about their names, because Ukrainians weren't very popular um, near the end of World War II because we fought against the Russians um, and there was a lot of propaganda against Ukrainians. Some true, some untrue about uh, colluding with the uh, Nazis and things like that. It was very tough for Ukrainians to get in here. Um, and there were a lot of good Ukrainians who came in and had to lie to get in. Um, and then a lot of them came here and became conservatives because the conservatives hated Russia. And yeah, and then they just started, like many, you know, the Cuban community, um, very conservative in parts of Miami. Um, and you see, you know, I just see it a lot. I see a lot of it in these diaspora movements where you have people come over and they don't want to give the people coming after them the same grace that was shown to them. They just want to be here and they want to take what they can and, and not have to deal with new people, you know? Yeah. It's, cra yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, it's, it's, people used to be afraid of them and now they're afraid of other people. You know, how many generations in America does it take before you're like, I'm an American. Fuck these foreigners. You know, the, before we go, there was just real quickly, there was one article I wanted to point out to people. It's by Matt Taibbi. It's called Kansas Should Go Fuck Itself. Um, I love Matt Taibbi. He sort of has gone off the radar of sort of mainstream journalists you see on, you know, cable news in the last four years because he has been more skeptical, I think, of the Russiagate investigation. And that really, I don't think, played into the narrative of what MSNBC and CNN were selling. But people can have their own opinions about that. We can talk about him more later. I, I have my issues with him. He's a little bro-y for me, but yes, he's uh, very, very fair, very fair. But um, he has he has written a you know he was great during the Bush years. He has written a bunch of good stuff, you know. And he, and I and he yeah. has his own column now on a on a Substack page. And some of them I cringe at, but he wrote one called "Kansas Should Go Fuck Itself," which is a review of Thomas Frank's new book. Thomas Frank is the guy who wrote "What's the Matter with Kansas." And this one is called The People Know. And it's a history of sort of populist, or the populist movement in the late 1800s in the United States and the presidential election of 1896. And it really sort of takes a deep dive into the way that the Democrats really turned their back on a lot of their sort of Roosevelt New Deal sort of economic populist message to a more pro-corporate message. It's a really great article. It, breaks a lot of that down it puts it in the perspective of you know 2020 and the election in front of us and definitely people should check it out I, I don't think it'll make people feel better about the election in 2020 after they read it but i think it's the kind of thing we might all be talking about if you know trump wins again and that is friends you wish you had we are not those friends see you next week jeff roman see you next week good night <laughs>